Uh, turn in your Bibles, please, to the book of Genesis chapter 22. We have one of the best chapters in all the Bible to cover this morning. Uh, so I, I, am, I am excited. I love that worship. That was just awesome. So John is an intern, and we also have, he's kind of a part-time intern. We have a full-time intern behind the, the soundboard this morning, Tyler Unger. Tyler, could you, uh, you know, come on, spotlight. Anyway, uh, someone asked me, what does, what does uh, intern mean? It means slave, slave. And Tyler is slave on behalf of the U.S. Navy. They're actually paying him as a transition to get out of the Navy. For the last six months of his term, he's getting paid full-time to be an intern slash slave for us full-time. I think that's pretty cool. So he's, uh, if you need anything, don't hesitate to call. All right, in, in Genesis chapter 22, let's do a review of what we did last week because this ties in with Abraham and Sarah. And last week we heard that, or we read that Abraham was 75 years old and childless, even though his name means father or even exalted father. And, and here at 75, God comes along and says, Abraham, I'm going to give you a ton of sons. I'm going to give you all kinds of kids. Well, 10 years go by and nothing. And here's Abraham going, God, we're kind of off to a slow start. I'm now 85, and his wife, Sarah, says, well, obviously it's not going to happen through me. So take Hagar, remember the Egyptian handmaiden, have a kid with her, and I'll hanai her into our family. And so he does, and he, you know, Ishmael is a result. And Ishmael goes on to become known as a work of the flesh, where Isaac, the work of the promise of the Holy Spirit, and, and, uh, that, that happened to this day. You hear, oh, that was such an Ishmael. means, oh, what a work of the flesh. We'll get into that more in a second. So for the next 13 years, God's kind of quiet. Matter of fact, we don't have any record of God saying anything. So Abraham's going, I guess this is the one. I got my Ishmael. And for 13, can you picture this? 13 years he's pouring his life into this boy, saying how I love you, trains him to hunt and fish, and, and constantly telling him, all that I have will someday be yours. You are going to inherit all of this. God's promise goes through you for 13 years. And now when Ishmael is 13 and now Abraham is 99, God finally speaks after 13 years. And he says, by the way, Abraham, it's not Ishmael. What, what do you mean? That's cute. God, what, what are you talking about? No, it's not. It's going to be through your wife, Sarah. You're going to have a son of promise. And here's Abraham going, well, what do I tell Ishmael? I mean, for 13 years, what am I, a liar? What, I've been telling him this is all going to be yours. You the man. And now it's going to be, no, you're eventually going to have to send him away with Hagar and get them out of the land. So Genesis chapter 21, the son of promise is born. So now Isaac, whose name means laughter, simply because when when Abraham heard he's going to have a son through Sarah. He laughed. Then later on, Sarah hears she's going to have a son in her old age. She laughs. So God says, I like that name. Let's call him Laughter. Let's call him Isaac. So now what we have is a 90-year-old lady who is nursing her firstborn child for the first time at 90 years old. 
And, and what we have is this 100-year-old geezer out there singing and dancing, turning Pentecostal for the Lord, singing, Hallelujah, I got my son of promise. Everyone's happy. They're all coming by, Christ, you know, baby presents and all this. They're all rejoicing. Oh, God has given you such. There's one person who's not really stoked. His name is Ishmael. Because he's thinking, you know, for 13 years, I was the center of attention. For 13 years, I was the man. For 13 years, I had no competition. Who's this kid now coming in in place of me? You know, when I had uh, my first granddaughter, Aria, and then the second one comes along, Kavena. And Kavena was great for about a week. And then her older sister, Aria, goes to my daughter, Vanessa, and goes, hey, Mom, I want Kavena to go back inside your tummy. Because this older sister thing's overrated. You know, she used to be the center of attention. Now she's got all this competition. So here, Ishmael's not stoked. Again, he's been sent away. And so here's our outline for this morning. Four parts. Number one, the one you love. Number two, the one you worship. Because love and worship, their first uses are in this chapter. Then it's the one God provided and finally the one for you. So in chapter 22, I'm reading from the New King James Bible. It says in verses 1 and 2, now it came to pass, after these things, so after Ishmael's gone and all that, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, and Abraham said, here I am. So in verse 2, God says, take now your son, your only son, Isaac. He doesn't even recognize Ishmael. You know the one you love? There's the first mention of love. And go to the land of Moriah. It's the land of Jerusalem. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. So here's he, he's going, wait, why am I being tested? First, God, he tests him not to produce faith, but to reveal it. When any company is going to release a new product, they do ample testing before it's released to make sure this product does what we advertise. You know, it's the perfect microwave or whatever, and it's tested and retested. That's the kind of thing that's going on in Abraham's life. Now, I like the fact that God called Abraham by name. I'd like to think that everyone here, you got my intention, everyone here this morning, God's calling you by name, personal, by name. The neat thing is, Abraham answered, here I am. You'll find that repeated throughout this chapter. Here I am. Here I am. And so God is speaking to us, calling us by, by name this morning. He goes, take your son, your only son, the one whom you love. Now you go, wait, wait, wait. I have an older son. I have Ishmael. God does not recognize our Ishmaels, that work of the flesh. Suppose I'm running from God all my life, but I build him a university. I got buku bucks, and I build a university. And I go, hey, Lord, look at the university I built for you. And he goes, well, it's, Mike, it's named after you. What if God says, I never called you to build a university. I called you to be a missionary in your community. I called you to be a witness to Jesus Christ on your street, in the surf community, on the job. And he doesn't even recognize what I think is a stupendous work while I operate in my rebellion. 
So he, just, he doesn't even recognize that work of the flesh. Then he goes, the one you love. So this is the first mention of love in the Bible, and it's a father's love for his son, which sets us up for John 3.16. God so loved the world, he gave his only son. You will see that mirrored throughout chapter 22. Matter of fact, I believe as deep as we can go this morning, we are barely scratching the surface. To me, this is one of the heaviest chapters in the Bible. It's one of the best chapters in the Bible. You might know it better than me. You might be able to tell it better than I can. But the thing is, I don't know that we've really digested that God loves us. Because that's what the story is all about. So he says, take your son, you, you know, the, the one you love. Now, I taught on this years ago. And Kiari and my wife or my daughter were sitting over there somewhere. They had the two girls. No boy. So Kiari leans over to Vanessa, my daughter, and goes, I don't even know love because I don't have a son. And then along came Steele. I don't know how that happened, but uh, he knows love now. So now he's saying, I want you to offer up your Isaac. And there's nothing more dear to Abraham than his son of promise. God, you're the promiser, but you gave me the promise. And now, <laughs> this, is the, this is my life. I, I, and we believe he may be as old as 33 at this point. But here he is, oh, you, you don't understand, God, for the last decades, plural, I have poured my life in this boy. I, I just, I can't imagine offering him, God, aren't you different from the other gods? Because the other gods there in Canaan land, yeah, they demanded blood sacrifice. They were bloodthirsty gods. They wanted human sacrifice. The old Hawaiians did this too, human sacrifice. And here's Abraham going, now wait, God, I, I thought you were different. I, I didn't think you'd get into a human sacrifice. Why, why are you doing this to me? Now, the thing is, no explanation is given. God doesn't say, oh, sit down, let me explain what I'm doing. He doesn't say that. He just says, this is what I want you to do. And maybe that's where you are this morning. You're kind of struggling with an area that you, you're wrestling with the Holy Spirit. I know he wants me to do this, but I have no idea why. I mean, if I give this up to do this, I, there's no guarantees. And God is not explaining. He's wanting you to trust him. He's wanting you to go for it and say, okay, Lord, I will follow you. I will trust you. So here Abraham had to learn the difference between trusting the promise, Isaac, and trusting the promiser. Or maybe he's put it this way. He once held tight to the promiser. But now that the promiser is given the promise, I want to hold tight to the promise. In, in the New Testament, Jesus promises you abundant life. And I trust that you have it. I mean, it's not a quality in the bank account or something like that. It's a quality of life. It's love, joy, and peace. And here the promiser has given you the promise. You have the abundant life, present tense. And then all of a sudden he goes, okay, give that up to me. You go, wait a minute. This promise is from you. Why would I give this up and go through discomfort? See, that's our struggle when the promise is more dear to us than the one who promised it. That's what he's going through. So, then he goes in verses 3 through 6, this is the one you worship. Again, I'm in the New King James. Chapter 22, verse 3. So Abraham rose up early in the morning. That's called right-away obedience. He saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, and Isaac, his son, and he, meaning Abraham, 
split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey while the lad, that's a key word, while the lad and I go yonder and worship, and notice, we will come back. We will return. So here he is. This is the first time that worship is mentioned in the Bible. Do you know the Hebrew word for worship? I bet you'll never forget it, even though I've forgotten it many times. Hebrew word, I'm sure I'm mis mispronouncing this, it is shaka. How cool is that? Now, when we think of worship, we think of what we had this morning. A great time, you know, guitars, drums, pianos, singers, just a, a joyful time before God. That's not what this idea means of, of worship. It means to bow down. And so when Abraham and, and Isaac go to the mount, they don't have this glorious time of joyful worship. They are bowing down. I am worshiping you, God. I am in submission to you. How the Bible says in the New Testament, every knee is going to bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So this is a different worship kind of experience than what we just had this morning. This is one that hopefully you're having right now. Where before God Almighty, you're going, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Some here are bowing down to peer pressure. Perhaps in your school or on your diet, everybody's doing it. What's the big deal? Come on, go for it, live it up. That's called peer pressure. Some bow down to substance abuse. They just cannot say no. Some, they bow down to being intimidated. And rather than being, if you will, intimidated by God, they're intimidated by the person in front of them. And they cower, they bow down. Now, it says, the lad and I will go. Now, for this word, the reason of this word, a lot of people think, Isaac was some little guy just, you know, holding grandpa or holding dad's hand and going up this mountain. But the word lad is used elsewhere in the Bible for a, an armed soldier. We're not talking about a five-year-old. We're talking about someone, many believe he's 33 because this whole chapter is a picture of what God did with his son, Jesus. Jesus was 33 when he was sacrificed. I don't know. But at the very least, he could have easily overtaken Abraham. At the very least, he could have easily outrun Abraham. Catch me if you can, Dad. But I see that knife. I know where you're doing, what you're going to. I'm not going to be around. So Abraham is exactly 100 years older than Isaac. But again, we believe Isaac could have been as old as 33. He's old enough to outrun Abraham, old enough to overcome him as we find Abraham actually ties him up and places him on the altar. But he told the two guys back there, remember, we will come back. Three times in this chapter, we see together, together, together. This is father and son working together to, to carry this out. So uh, the two of them went together. Now, in Hebrews chapter 11, remember that's the Hall of Faith chapter? It talks about this very moment. It goes back to Genesis 22, to when Abraham sacrificed Isaac. And it says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, remember not to produce faith, but to reveal what's really there. 
When he was tested, he offered up Isaac, and he who had revealed the promises offered up his only begotten, oh, I'm sorry, he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, where have I heard that term before? Of whom it was said, in your seed, or I'm sorry, in Isaac your seed shall be called. Remember last week we talked about this in Galatians 3.16. Hopefully not to lose you, but 3.16 is a key number. John 3.16, here it is, Galatians 3.16, where Paul the Apostle says, do you notice it says in your seed, singular, it's not plural? And he said that seed is Jesus Christ. And so here he's going, okay, I know that God promised me it's going to be through Isaac. So he's concluding that God was able to raise him up from the dead, and because of this he received him back in a figurative sense, meaning this is a type of what Jesus would be like. All right? So here he's going, I don't understand. God hasn't explained to me what he's doing. He gave me this promise. Now decades later, he wants me to sacrifice my Isaac. I don't want to give it up. I don't want to, I don't know what he's doing, but I know if I raise that knife and kill him, God will raise him from the dead, even though up to that point in history, nothing like that has ever happened. He's saying, well, it's going to be God's problem. I'm just going to follow through. So let's pick it up in verse 7. This is now the one God provided. So in verse 7, but Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father. And again, here, here I am. Uh, look, the fire, so he's carrying the fire, and the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. There we see it again. And they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar. That must have been sobering. Building an altar. And there placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. So how much faith did Isaac have as his dad is tying him up? And he bound Isaac, laid him on the wood, on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, notice, Abraham, twice. He said, here I am. And he said, don't lay your hand on the son, on, on, the, on the lad. Don't do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its, thorn, by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram, offered it up as a burnt offering. Notice these two words. Instead of, in the place of, he offered up the ram instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mounts of the Lord, it shall be provided. So, this is what's going on. Isaac is the one carrying his own wood up to his own sacrifice. Much like Jesus carried his own wood of the cross up to his sacrifice, okay? He goes, hey, Dad, um, you know, I see we got the fire, we got the wood, so what are we offering here anyway? We're supposed to bring a lamb. And twice, verses 8 and verse 14, Abraham says, you know what, Jehovah Jireh, 
meaning the Lord will provide. We used to sing a song like this. If you're really old and cool, remember Jehovah Jireh, my provider. I guess I'm doing a solo, but it was a good song. His grace is sufficient for me. So here it is, Jehovah Jireh. That song comes from this chapter, this verse actually. So in chapter 22, verse 9, Abraham builds another altar. You go, wait, wait, he built altars before. So he's pretty good at doing this. But this one's different. In chapter 12, he built an altar of thanks. Remember, God took him all those hundreds of miles across the desert. He gets to the promised land. He goes, let's build an altar and thank God. Those altars are easy and great to build. Later on, he needs direction. He need, I, I, got, I got to hear from God. He builds another altar for prayer. Those are great. When he goes, maybe you're called to a prayer and fast, or you're just going to get along with God and hear from God. So that's a great altar. This was different. He's built. What do you think he's thinking? As he's building one rock on top of another. Don't you think he's got a voice in the back? What are you doing? As it took him three days to get to this place. So I see a campfire every night. Abraham, Isaac, and these two servants. Sitting around the campfire telling stories. In the back of Abraham's head, don't you think he's going, what are you doing, Abraham? And now he's taking the fire, he's taking the knife, he's taking the, the wood and, and going up there. Now he's building an altar. Don't you think he's going, what are you doing? Are you seriously going to do this to your kid? So he's building an altar. And he knows it's an altar of sacrifice. So as a burnt offering was always killed first, then consumed in fire, Abraham is going to kill his son first. So he raises that knife. And here's Isaac tied up laid down an altar in total submission to his father, just as Jesus prayed, not my will, thy will be done. And as he raises the knife, an angel of the Lord cries out, did you notice, twice, Abraham, Abraham. Whenever a name is repeated in the Bible, it's a term of endearment. God is saying, I am not mad at you. I'm not angry at you. I love you. So when Absalom tried to usurp the authority of David, his king, his dad, and Absalom was killed, remember David goes, Absalom, Absalom, my son, my son. He's expressing deep grief and total love for this kid. Martha, Martha, Jesus said. Martha, Martha, you are so distracted. You're so concerned about all these things. Your sister Mary has chosen a good thing, and that's not going to be taken away from her. But when he said, Martha, Martha, he's going, I love you, girl. It's not, I'm not angry at you. I want you to know I love you. When Jesus died on the cross, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, meaning my God, my God. What's he saying? I love you. I know you love me. What's, what's going on? Why have you forsaken me? So I won't have to forsake everybody else. So it was Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham knows that's a call of love. Now here's when God says don't. And he says don't to Abraham. And of course his is don't lay a hand on your son. I, I, I think whether we realize it or not, every single person in this room heard don't sometime this week. 
everyone, I'm not saying we all listened to it, but I think this God of love says, don't, and it's for your own good. I, I love you too much to let you do that. Don't say that. Don't think that. Don't do that. Don't go there. So often God says, don't, and it's for his, our own good. He would call me Mike, Mike, don't. And so here, Abraham, don't do that. For I know now, or for now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son. See this word or this phrase? Since you have not withheld. Folks, that's the test. That's what it was all about. It was all about what do I allow to come between me and God? And I can even say, well, it's a promise. You're the promiser. Gave me this promise, this relationship, this home, this car, whatever it is. A noun, a person, place, or thing. God, uh, you gave it to me, and I'm keeping it now. I'm even going to keep it from you. I've allowed it to take first place in my heart. I said, no. What do I allow? So what's, what's my Isaac? Or who is my Isaac? You know, I think for everyone here, we have some similar, similarities, some differences. It could be a promise. It could be a job. A relationship. How about a dream? No, God, this is my dream. You know, my Isaac is that area of my life where I say, God, you can have everything but hands off. Not my Isaac. And I would just sense right now the Holy Spirit is probably singling out in your life going, spotlight on this area. In love, not in anger or bitterness, but just... You're allowing this to take my place, is what God's saying. You need to sacrifice this Isaac. He might give it right back to you, like he did it for Abraham, or he might relieve you of it. Who or what is your Isaac? For Abraham, it was his kid. All right? So then God provides. We see Isaac is carrying the wood, uh, and he says, hey, so, so, so where's the lamb? Uh, Dad, I'm missing something. And twice, he says in verse 8 and verse 14, Jehovah Jireh, God will provide. Watch this. Remember I said, watch these two words instead of. Said, in, instead of your son, I'm going to give something instead of. Uh, or here, God has provided. So in the New Testament, we have John the Baptist. In John chapter 1, verse 29, going, hey, he points out to Jesus. Kind of his cousin, right? His half-cousin. He points to Jesus and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So when Abraham, when Isaac's going, so what? Where's the Lamb? Centuries later, here's John the Baptist. There's a Lamb. It's Jesus. He took on himself the sins of the entire world and paid the price. So let's review thus far. We've done three points. All right? First one is, the one you love, Genesis. And that's like, so, so what? Who's my Isaac? What's my Isaac? And it's probably going to run deep. Then it was, who do you worship? Who do I bow down to? Remember Shaka. Who do I bow down to? Okay, this is not just a song service, God. This is lifestyle. And I'm offering myself to you. Then it was the God provided. The one God provided. Where's the lamb? Jehovah Jireh. He will provide. So that brings us to our last point. 
You guys with me? Last point is chapter 24, but I'm going to just tell it in a story form. It's a long chapter. I'll give you the gist of it. And this is how it works. In chapter 24, the father wants to find a bride for his son. It's a little bit deeper than that. Isaac, I say, is a love story. In chapter 22, it was a father's love for his son that might have gotten in the way of the father's love for God. It's a love story. And God says, Abraham, do you love me? Do you love me more than fill in the blank? But now this father who loved his son is looking for a bride who wants to love him. Not a bride in submission, okay, you know, just uh, like a slave. No, no, no. I'm looking for someone who will love my son. So chapter 24 be becomes this picture of how God is looking for a bride for his son Jesus. And he's looking here this morning. So there's four main characters in this story, okay? Of course, there's Abraham. As the father, he's kind of like God the father, all right? Then there's Isaac. Of course, he's kind of like God the son, Jesus. Then there's an unnamed servant. We never know his name, or we might suspect his name. We know the head servant of, of uh, Abraham, but is unnamed in this chapter. So he represents the Holy Spirit. Then there's this beautiful, beautiful girl named Rachel, and she represents us, the bride of Christ. Um, so in chapter 24, verse 2, uh, a vow is taken. I'm trying to keep this clean. This is a holy moment. But this is a little bit more severe than you think or more radical than you think. He says to his servant, come put your hand under my thigh. And people go, oh, right here. No. Commentators say it's inside the thigh. Hey, man, if I took your hand, put it inside my thigh, would I have your attention? Would you not think this is the bizarre? What, what are you doing? If you took my hand and put it there, I'd go, what are you doing? We don't do that in this culture. But in their culture, this was a solemn oath. You better take this seriously. And so the Father is telling the Holy Spirit, I want you to find a bride who will love my son. But don't you dare do it here in the land of Canaan. In the sin You'd have to go back to Abraham's, Abraham's land. So don't you dare take one from here. And you go find one there. And of course, the, the servant goes, so, so what if she's not willing? What if I go, I don't know, 300 miles across this desert? Long ways, okay? And uh, he brings 10 camels, brings lots of gold and jewelry and all kinds of stuff. And what if I give, all, you know, and I propose? And she goes, nah, I've never seen this guy. How could I love him? Remember Jesus you know, blessed are you who believe, but really blessed are those who don't see and believe. So what if she doesn't, okay, if she's not willing, you're relieved from this oath, okay? Then he goes <laughs> hundreds of miles. He sits down by a water place, and he prays, God, <laughs> you know that oath I took? I don't want to mess this up. Would you help me find her? And at this point, Rachel comes in. The Bible calls her beautiful. Now, commentators say that when the Bible says she was very beautiful, we're talking Miss Universe. And here she is, a servant, shepherdess, out with dad's 
flocks and all that herds. And so here he is going, whoa, she's perfect. But Lord, I don't want to mess this up. I don't want to go by outward beauty. Would you show me? Show me. And so Rachel comes up, says, oh, you thirsty? I'll give you some water. Then she goes, oh, are your 10 camels thirsty? I'll feed them too. Each camel is capable of 20 gallons of water times 10 camels. That's 200 gallons. By Miss Universe. Try and get Miss Universe. I don't know Miss Universe. I just don't think she delivered 200 gallons of water to someone she doesn't know. And so here he's going, wow, she's beautiful. I think it's Psalm 45, the king greatly desires your beauty. She's a servant. I think of Jesus saying, you know, these things I did unto you, I'm your master. But blessed are you if you do it to each other. John 13 at the Last Supper. Lord, is she the one? So he gives her some gifts. He kisses her on the cheek, kind of like Hawaiian style. And he goes, uh, hey, uh, are you from around here? She goes, hey, why don't you come to my house, my dad? We got plenty of room. We'll take you in. So he goes there. And here's this, I mean, the dad must be going, what's going on? We got 10 camels out front. What's going on? Man, they're loaded with jewelry. What's going on? And so the servant begins to say, um, Abraham was from here. He's re related to you guys. Yeah, I remember Abraham. Ah, God's really blessed them. Buku. Matter of fact, all that the father has, he's given to his son. Just like God the father has given everything to God the son so that we may pay homage, we may worship him. They go, uh, Rachel, will you marry this guy? Girls, single girl, would you do this? I mean, you go, okay, 10 camels, a lot of gold, jewelry. I got a nose ring out of it. Maybe I should call it quits right now. Or would you go, I've never seen this. You don't even have a picture? Can we FaceTime him? No? You got to trust me. You'll love him. And so they ask, remember, he's looking for a bride who's willing to love the son. And she answers, I will go. She tr makes that trek back across the desert. And they get married. And they have Jacob, who had the 12 sons, who had the 12 tribes. What a story. How about, where does Jesus fit into all this? Well, obviously at the cross, we got that. But here's, here's what, something that he did in John chapter 8 that is baffling. He's telling the Jews, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. And they're going, you were there? They're thinking this is John or Genesis 22. That he saw this take place on the mount there in the land of Moriah. He said, they go, the Jews go to Jesus when he said, dude, you're not even 50 years old yet. And you're saying you knew Abraham 2,000 years ago. Give me a break. And he goes, before or most assuredly, so you can say, bank on this, mark my words, before Abraham was, I am. Meaning, remember when Moses was before the burning bush? This is five or 600 years after Abraham. This is the name he gave. When Abraham, when Moses goes, God, I, you want me to go to Egypt, face Pharaoh and all of his arm? What am I supposed to say? When the Jews ask, who sent you? I don't even know your name. He goes, I am. Tell them I am sent you. I am who I am. 
So for Jesus to use the same terminology, he is saying, I am God. I am equal to the Father. And that's why the Jews picked up stones to throw at him. They felt, this is blasphemy. We have reason to kill you. Where does Jesus fit into Genesis? He must have been there. Abraham saw me, and he was stoked. Where else? Again, as Isaac carries the wood for his sacrifice, Jesus carried the cross for his sacrifice, and that word, in, or that phrase, instead of, he became the instead of, we call it substitutionary death. $10 word, worth knowing. A $10 substitutionary, just think it out. It's a substitute. You and I are sinners. We are created in the image of God, but every one of us has sinned and we've marred that image of God. We've broken fellowship off with God. We are, we've had the spiritual death as a result of sin. And now we are destined to pay for our sins in hell. We're destined to, to die if you're in spiritual death in hell. Unless there's a substitute. Unless there's a instead of. And so Christ died this substitutionary death saying, Mike does not have to go to hell. I will pay the price of his sin instead of Mike as a substitute for Mike. And as I put my trust in him, I confess my sins unto him. I go, Lord, you've given me life and I've messed up. I have sinned. I have hardened my heart. I've rebelled against you. I have hurt people in the process. I struggle with pride. La, da, da, la, da, da. And you just confess all that and you put it onto Christ because his sacrifice covers. And God says, Mike, you now have the righteousness of God in Christ. Remain in Christ. Where's Jesus in Genesis? As God the Father offered up Jesus. Watch this. Remember God said to Abraham, now I know that you fear me. How about this? Because Abraham, you didn't give up your only son. We turn it around, God, now I know you love me because you didn't withhold your son. I mean, mind blown. When you see all of this is a picture of what God wants to do in the New Testament. That's why I, I just feel as, as deep as we go, we are barely scratching the surface because if we got it, if we understand how much God loves us, it would change our lives. It would completely change our lives. You know, uh, when you go, okay, Lord, you did this one thing, I'll, I'll never doubt your love again. I told this story before. I just told it last Sunday night at our Ohana group. I can't get it out of my head, so if you've heard it before, sorry, not sorry. You're not the commercial. Years ago, we had Hurricane Aniki, September 11th, I think 1992. And we were doing an outreach uh, with Greg Laurie, Chuck Smith, at the, uh, well, then it was going to be at the, the um, Aloha Stadium. And the night, it was September 13th. It's my birthday. Someone tells Chuck Smith, hey, uh, it's Mike's birthday. Um, if you don't know who Chuck is, he was a rock star <laughs> of pastors. Was back in the Jesus Revolution, he was one of the very few that God used in a spectacular way Calvary chapels went worldwide at that time. Uh, an amazing man of God who's now with God. So there's a few of us, I don't know, 30 of us who are backstage or back um, in the locker room uh, of the stadium. 
And there's a big area. We were all there holding hands. This was pre-COVID. We were radical. And uh, holding Chuck's hand somehow. How did this? Must have been holding my, my right hand. And after the prayer, Chuck grabs my hand. And with his left hand, he holds my elbow. And he won't let me go. And he's saying, you have to understand, when Chuck sang, happy birth, I mean, it was like, whoa. And I thought the entire stadium could hear him. He does not hold back. And you, to see his eyes, they're dancing, and there's love, and there's magic, and I love you, Mike. And I was an idiot to say, and I never did like that song. So he sings another song. You know the dirge? Happy birthday. I can't even sing it. Oh, so after that, I said, okay, we're good. But I look back on that, that moment, Chuck looking in my, I mean, a few inches away. I realized I will never doubt Chuck's love for me again. And I never did. We're on a first name basis. It spoke to me that much. I actually did the math this morning because Chuck was an old man when he did this. He was 65. I'm now 67. And I realized, you must think I'm old, but you don't know nothing, man. I'm 18, 19. But the thing is, because Chuck did that one thing, I never doubted his love again. The idea is, can we look at the cross and go, God, you didn't hold back your son. Are you serious? You didn't hold back your Isaac. You gave him for me. You allowed him to go through hell on earth. You, he was mocked. He was spit upon flag just just uh, or flogged it just the, the crown of thorns are you serious what he did and he had to carry that cross and he did it for me that's why i'm saying if we would get this we'd go god because of you let your son die on the cross for me i will never doubt your love for me again are you there would you like to be because that's where god wants you this morning to understand his love is so great and so deep, you should never doubt it again. All right? So, God called Abraham by name. As I said earlier, he's calling every one of us by name. Abraham answered, here I am. What do we answer? Now, remember we've already said, who's your Isaac? Is there something the Holy Spirit is fingering right now? Spotlight. This is it, and it's slowing you down. It's holding you up. You will never grow more spiritually or more spiritually intimate as long as you have this Isaac. You, you fill in blank. But he wants you to give it up this morning. So we'll close with this. If the worship team wants to get back up here, God the Father is looking for a bride for his son. They asked Rachel, you want to go? You've never seen him. Will you go and love him? She said, I will go. She became his bride. So what's your response to Jesus today? What's your response? I think there are some in here who have been Christians longer than I have. And you might have several Isaacs. You might be going, okay, Lord, which one do you want first? It's time. I mean, don't you want to finish strong? In a marathon race, they, they save the best for the end. To just burn it, baby. At the end, just everything you got. And that's how I want to go out. Just burning it for Jesus. Just going for it. But some of you might be new here. 
Maybe you don't, yeah, I've heard about you. I'm just here because my roommate took me. And you're wondering, well, what's this going to cost? Well, it's going to cost everything. In a sense, that's what it costs God. He has no interest in a surface level commitment, in a Sunday morning only commitment. The requirement is love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. What's holding you back? Is it really worth it to hang on to that and miss out on all that God has for you? Maybe you're here this morning, you've never surrendered, you've never worshiped or that bow to Jesus Christ, and now's your time. Now's your time to say, what am I doing? It starts with forgiveness of sin to where you go, God, I need forgiveness. It's not that I did boo-boos or slip-ups, I sinned. See, the prerequisite for receiving forgiveness is confession of sin. God, I've sinned. I want to close in prayer. And reflectively, wherever you are with the Lord, now's the time to respond. I wouldn't wait for a half hour when you're home and eat Doritos and Coke or whatever and just soda. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, what a holy moment. And uh, the way you expressed your love for us, you call us by name, even though we've turned our back, we've hardened hearts, we've been rebellious, we've done damage. Father, now we lay every Isaac at your altar. May it be completely consumed in that fire. Anything that has slowed us down, that has hindered us from just doing 100% for you. You know, as we're praying, if you're here new this morning, or maybe you're here old, and you've never surrendered to Jesus Christ, you have never personally asked him, would you forgive me of my sin? But right now the Holy Spirit has singled you out and said, today's your time, and you would like to receive his forgiveness. Could you simply raise your hand and say, it's me, the Holy Spirit's dealing with me, I want forgiveness today. Is there anyone? Guys, I love you. I want God's best for you. Let's stand and worship him.
Guys, before you go, just a short word. I believe God's pulling some of you in closer than before. It's been a while, and you've allowed things to get in the way, and he's saying sacrifice is now offered up now. Now, not next week. Now, whatever it is, get right with God now. He wants to blow your minds this week to just see things like an opportunity to share. Maybe with someone you never shared with before. Maybe with someone you shared a hundred times with, and this is the breakthrough. But I sense him pulling us in closer to his heart, and he wants us to worship him not only with our love, but with our lifestyle. So be salt, all right? Be light, and let him use you to the max this week. 
Guys, I love you. I want God's best for you. Let's fellowship. God bless.